our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. George Edward Woodbury once said, Defeat is not the worst of failures. Not to have tried is the true failure. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over, eight, for over 19 years. We've got to change that. 19 years. I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 975th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And that's right, and we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you all for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, and our Mixler chat board. So let's get started. Jonathan, what is the subject matter for today? Well, Rick, our question is, how do you manage failure, part one? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. All right, so it's all about failure. This is something everybody's familiar with. And here's the bottom line. Nobody likes failure. Even when we've been told that failure is good for us, that it is a stepping stone, and that you don't learn from success nearly as much as you learn from failure, we still don't like it. For many of us, failure can be discouraging, debilitating, and even depressing. So what do we do with this? We learn from it. Now, now hold on. It's like, okay, what do you mean? Uh, you just said, well, okay, let's, just, let's look, look at this. We look into the lives of those whom we consider successful and study their failures and their reactions to those failures to see how we can use their experiences to help us navigate our own experiences. The Bible is full of great examples of faithful ones who had many failures, and the Bible is also full of their successes, success stories afterwards. So what are we waiting for? Let's get started with this whole making failure work for me kind of thing. And go ahead. Well, I, I was thinking over the last couple of days because I knew this was the subject, and I was trying to think of um, personal examples of failure, and I couldn't think of any, Rick. Oh, I've, I could help you out with that, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> what I meant to say is I could help me out with that, with examples of my failures. That's what I should be saying there. Okay. All right. Well, Jonathan, let's go. Let's, let's start out with a soundbite. This is, this is probably a familiar soundbite to a lot of you. Uh, this is a very successful individual talking about his own experience. Uh, this is Michael Jordan, and this was on a commercial several years ago, but it's definitely worth listening to. Michael Jordan, former basketball player. I missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 
six times, I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. And that is one powerful statement. That is, oh, is one powerful statement. And, and Jonathan, as we tackle this subject and all the subjects that we tackle, it's always our objective with each subject that we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try and find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to hopefully give you something to really, really think about. And failure is a big, big, big subject because everybody fails. And that's why we're doing a two-part program yeah. on this subject. Yeah, you're right. We, you, you need to do a two-part program on a subject like this because failure is such a big part of our lives. And what do you do with this big, big part of our lives? So we're going to try to break this down into pieces because, you know, the old saying, and I don't know where this saying come, came from, but, you know, how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, how do you digest failure? Well, one step at a time. First of all, let's suggest, and this is a suggestion, this is not science necessarily, this is purely observation. Let's suggest that there are four specific paths that failure arrives on. Understanding these four paths will help us to better learn from failure. So we're going to do a brief example of each, and then Jonathan, through this two-part program, this two-part podcast on failure, we're going to thoroughly examine each one of these four paths that failure just arrives into our life upon. So the first path is what? Failure due to a lack of knowledge. You simply don't know what you need to succeed. All right. Sometimes we fail because we just don't know. We, it, it's, not, it's not anything more than not having all of the knowledge that you needed to be put in place. And, you know, for instance, you're, gonna, you're starting to, to, to drive a car. You get into a car and it's a standard and you never drove a standard before. You got that extra pedal on the floor, and it's like, what's that, for decoration? <laughs> and that stick shift on yeah, your right? that's right. And you turn the key, and the car lurches forward because <laughs> you didn't know. You just didn't know. Failure due to a lack of knowledge, sometimes that happens. And number two is failure due to immaturity. Okay, before we get to that, though, let, let's do a scriptural example. Oh. We're going to go through all four first. Oh, that's right. That's what you told me. See, I just, failure yeah. on my part. I, I heard it. I said, that's a great idea, and then I didn't follow through. Ah, go ahead. Uh, all right. Failure due to immaturity. You just don't have enough experience or understanding to be able to succeed. Okay. So immaturity is something that just gets in our way and oftentimes causes failure. What's the third one? Failure due to weakness. You do know better, you have done better, but you simply fall anyway. Sometimes it's just because we're weak. Failure can come. See, these are, these are different paths that failure will, will arrive in our lives uh, via. And then the fourth path is what? Failure due to choice. Beyond mere weakness, this failure is founded in the idolatry of self-will. And if you notice, the way these are set up, it's the easiest to rectify all the way up to the hardest to rectify. We're going to work our way through these. So those are the four suggested pathways that failure uh, arrives in our lives on. So now let's go back to number one, failure due to a lack of knowledge. You simply don't know what you need to succeed. 
And let's look at a quick scriptural example of it and just talk about it a little bit. We're just going to introduce them all in this first segment. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all aspects. For a while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship. I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And I think we were talking about this last week, actually. We were. And talking about they were worshiping in ignorance. They didn't know any better. So how do you rectify ignorance? How could the Athenians properly worship God Almighty if they didn't understand God Almighty? So the Apostle Paul comes, he observes their religiousness, he observes their um, their desire to not leave any God out. I mean, that's really what that was for. Okay, let's not leave any of the gods out because, you know, we want to worship them all. And he takes that ignorance, that inability. And remember, ignorance, we can look at it two ways. You can say, oh, somebody is ignorant, and, and that can be an insult. And that can be, you know, cutting them down. But Jonathan, ignorance really is opportunity. Because if you don't know, then the opportunity is wide open to be able to be told, so now you can know. So the apostle said in this scripture, he said, Therefore, what you are worshiping in ignorance, I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to give you the chance to not have that ignorance prevail over your lives anymore. I'm going to tell you about this unknown God and wait till you hear what he's all about. So failure due to a lack of knowledge. We all run into that kind of failure, and there's nothing wrong with it. All right, it's, it's, a, it's a simple, straightforward kind of failure, nothing wrong with it, and we, we want to understand when we fail for that reason. So the next level of failure is what? Failure due to immaturity. And again, what's, what's the tagline for that? Just don't have enough experience or understanding to be able to succeed. Okay. So immaturity is different than a lack of knowledge. You can be a very mature individual just but not have the knowledge you need in this situation or that situation. Immaturity is you haven't grown up enough to be able to apply yourself in, a, in an appropriate way to get something done. Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23 is a really good example of that. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Now, look, was Peter purposefully playing the role of, quote, Satan in, in, in this situation? Of course not, Rick. He, he had a love for Jesus, and he wanted to protect him and keep him safe. Right. So in that love for Jesus, in that good motivation, he just didn't have the spiritual maturity to understand, you can't get in my way. You can't stop this from happening. This is what I came to do. And even though Jesus had told him that, it didn't register because he just wasn't spiritually mature yet. That's not a problem. It's just a circumstance. He needed to grow up. Now, Jesus had to reprimand him 
pretty severely. Get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, that'll get your attention. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it did, I'm sure. And, and Rick, that reminds me of pride and ego can get in the way of recovering from failure. Yeah, you know, and that's that's a really important point because pride and ego can actually play a role on every one of these paths to failure. Pride and ego can can get in our way when we have a lack of knowledge because, well, I want to do it, you know, well, I, I think I know enough. Well, mate, no, you don't. Well, yeah, I do. You know, pride can get in your way. Due to immaturity, you know, we can say, we can, Peter could have said, well, Lord, look, I'm sorry, but I just don't think you know what you're talking about here. I am going to protect you. That is, is, is a prideful approach to something that you shouldn't have pride in. So you're right. Pride and ego play a role. They play a tremendous role, and our recovery uh, is, is definitely hindered if, if we don't um, understand that. You're listening to Christian Questions Live. We want to hear from you now. Message our live chat or contact us and leave us a question or a message at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay. So we've gone failure due to a lack of knowledge, failure due to immaturity. The third road or path to failure is what? Failure due to weakness. You do know better. You have done better, but you simply fall anyway. Sometimes we're just weak. A good scriptural example of that is Galatians 2, 11 and 12. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Okay, so the apostle Peter uh, kind of uh, gave into peer pressure here. He did. And when you give into peer pressure, you know what you're doing is you're giving into weakness. Now, it's not to say Peter, Peter was mature at this point. Okay, there, there was no immaturity here. He was a mature spirit begotten leader in the christian church he knew better but he was simply weak so it's different than a lack of knowledge because he did know better it's different than immaturity because he was really grown up and he had the spirit guiding him he was simply weak so serious peer pressure can create weakness even if we are you know if we have quote arrived and that can bring us failure so, uh, Jonathan, let's pause for a moment here. Let's go to a soundbite. This is from a motivational video, and, and I love this guy. I don't know who he is, but he is passionate about what he talks about. And the, the motivational video is Struggle Makes You Stronger. And uh, so he's going to start out by yelling in your ear about how important it is to realize that pain is your friend. Imagine if you got what you want every time. No struggle, no hard work, no challenges, no hard work required. Some of you are saying that will be great. You would be weak. And then when something hard comes up in your life, you wouldn't know how to handle it because you have never gone through anything that strengthens you. You cannot grow without struggle. You cannot develop strength without resistance, without challenging yourself, without struggle. Pain is your friend, maybe not in the moment, but for the evolution of your soul, for the long-term benefit of you as a stronger human being, pain is your friend. It's a great message because failure brings pain. Pain 
is our friend if we are really focused on trying to build our lives into something bigger than they already are. So great, great way to get started here. We've given a quick example of the first three paths to failure, lack of knowledge, immaturity, and weakness. And let's give a quick example. What's the fourth one? Failure due to choice. Beyond mere weakness, this failure is founded in the idolatry of self-will. This is the biggest and most difficult kind of failure. A great example of this is Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. So Adam was... Uh, making a choice. Adam made a very specific, clear, unmitigated choice to take partake of the fruit. Eve was deceived. Big difference between the two. Eve was deceived. Adam chose to disobey. God held Adam to a higher accountability than Eve, okay, because there was a different um, structure to Eve's failure versus Adam's failure. And Jonathan, that's huge as we begin to un unfold this whole subject and try to put it all in, in some kind of clear-cut perspective, okay? So, so far, this all seems pretty understandable and easy. There are four ways that failure approaches us. Hold on, Rick. Eve was deceived. She failed. Why then isn't deception one of the paths that failure arrives on? You thought we had it figured out. Time to make things more complicated. Uh, Jonathan, a good question. Decepti deception certainly does line up for, uh, for failure, but deception only works when it has something to hold on to. We give deception a handhold when we don't have important knowledge to fight it, or when we are not yet mature enough to recognize it, or when we are too weak to resist it. You see, Deception is an external additive to our lives. And what it does is it piggybacks on one of those roads to failure. And, and it, it helps us go down those roads faster. So while it's not one of the roads to failure, it certainly can be a part of a lot of different kinds of failure. And talking about deception, there is, Rick, a lot of deceptions in churches out there. Um, deceptions can come from places we love and respect. But idolatry and false teachings are rampant. Yeah. That's why it's so important to study the Bible uh, on a personal basis. Uh, topical study is a great place to start. And, you know, tradition and ceremony are also hard to break after you really study and find out what God's Word truly means. Yeah, and as, as a matter of fact, in several weeks we're going to be doing a podcast on what makes a church a good church. And folks, you want to be involved in that because we're going to look at those very kinds of things and how to really try to figure out what's the best thing for us in terms of becoming stronger, better Christians. So, so Jonathan, here's the thing. Look, we'd all love to put up a road-closed sign on the path to failure that, that failure takes into our lives, okay? Because failure plagues us. And if, boy, if you could put up the road-closed sign and say, okay, just don't come to near me. Just stay away. <laughs> but it's not possible, and it's not recommended either, you see, because the consequences of putting up a road-closed sign to those paths that failure takes into our lives would be that we would not grow. 
because we have to experience lack of knowledge and immaturity and weakness and choices for us to be able to grow. So you can't close those roads. Failure is an important necessity in life. So instead, let's focus on building a new road that leads us through our failure experiences toward a positive failures lessened learned attitude. And that's what we want to establish here in this podcast today is how do we get to a failures lesson learned attitude? So let's go back to our motivational video, Jonathan, because you know he's, he's powerful and he's passionate and he just said, look, pain is your friend. Failure brings pain. And folks, if we can just realize failure, therefore, can be our friend. Struggle is the next thing that he's going to talk about in this, uh, this motivational video that we found on YouTube. And it's, again, it's called Struggle Makes You Stronger. If you didn't have failures, if you didn't have struggles, if you didn't have disappointment, you could have no strength, no courage, no compassion. How could you? Those qualities are made from your pain and struggle. You are given pain because you are strong enough to handle it. You are given this life because you are strong enough to live it. Because you are strong enough to drive through it, to thrive through it, to inspire others through it. They will look to you and say, he did it. She did it. I have the strength to do it too. I'd love to meet that guy. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, and, and he talks about, you know, having the strength to be an example. And, and, you know, of course, as a Christian, we say we want to be that example. By the grace of God, we were able to do this or to do that. And we understand that the grace of God carries us. But, folks, the grace of God does not work in your life absent from your own effort. We have to make the effort so the grace of God can bless the effort. Sometimes our efforts lead us to failure. So again, Jonathan, let's get into some depth on that first road that failure takes into our lives. And let's just say it one more time. What is it? It's failure due to a lack of knowledge, Rick. You simply don't know what you need to succeed. Okay. Failure due to a lack of knowledge is perhaps the easiest type of failure to learn from. Because it's more easily recognizable than the other paths of failure and usually has a lot less to do with our ego. See, because if you fail because you didn't know, you say, I didn't know. And that's cool. Okay, you didn't know. Now you do. Now, see, now once you do know, if you go down that road and you fail again, then that might be an immaturity thing or that might become a weakness thing. But when we don't know, the remedy is, okay, we can fix that. Open up your mind and absorb some kind of knowledge. So let, uh, let's take a, a little bit longer look at an example of failure due to a lack of knowledge and what to do with it. Uh, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. We're going to take 1 through 3 to get started. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into then what baptism were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Well, Rick, what went wrong? Well, Jonathan, there was plenty wrong in this. I mean, you think about it. 
he's he's going about the countryside, literally preaching the gospel, and he passed through the, the, the upper country, it says he came to Ephesus, and he found some followers of Jesus. And so he's talking to them. He doesn't know where they got their, their, their understanding of the gospel, so he's finding out, and he's asking the questions. And he said, uh, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they look at him like, huh? The what? <laughs> right. We didn't know there is a Holy Spirit. Now, is it their fault? They were never taught, Rick. Right. They were never taught. And so without God's Spirit, which is God's power and influence working in our lives, without that, you cannot really truly be a true Christian. You've got to realize that. That's part of what being a true footstep follower of Jesus is. It is having that Spirit of God guiding you. You can be on your way to Christianity. You can be appreciative of Christianity. But unless you are really begotten by the Spirit, that true, deep, heartfelt, self-sacrificial Christianity blessed by God does not exist. So, Rick, it was a simple lack of knowledge for these disciples. That kept them from being true Christians. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So that's a failure. It's like, okay, I can't do what I thought I could do because I don't have what I didn't know I I was supposed to have. If somebody would have told me what I was supposed to have, I could have what I was supposed to have, but I didn't have it because I don't have it and I don't know where to get it because I never even heard of it. (laughs) So failure due to a lack of knowledge. So let's continue. Again, Acts chapter 19, verses 4 through 7. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. So, Rick, what was the remedy for this failure? The remedy was simple, Jonathan, an intervening external source of knowledge. Paul, the Apostle Paul, finds them. He listens to them, and he fellowships with them, and then he teaches them what they need to know. So the failure of, of, due to a lack of knowledge can be easily remedied if our heart is in the right place, if we have that humility that you, you alluded to last uh, segment, and, and we're willing to, to sort of absorb you know, what we need to hear. And the Lord intervened for these disciples that were lacking by presenting Paul before them. Yeah. They needed his influence and his knowledge to bring them to the point of serving God and being Christ-like. Exactly. That's that's cool. That is cool. So you're right. And so the intervention goes even further than the Apostle Paul being there. It, It comes down to God seeing their need and sending the Apostle Paul there. So again, the first big lesson here is failure can be remedied through intervention of some kind or other. We're going to see that theme come up again and again. Because oftentimes in our own lives, Jonathan, when we have a failure and we don't want to tell anybody and we try to fix it ourselves, we don't do so well. You're right. You're absolutely <laughs> right. I, you know, that's what wives are for. They give you perspective, <laughs> right? That's right. They give you perspective, and they help you manage your sorry self to become a less sorry self. That's really yeah. what it was. And that to. reminds me of a quote uh, I came up with. It takes a lot of humility to be me, but I'm okay with that because I make a lot of mistakes. All right. That's good. That's good. It's, it's good that you have that humility to be you. I can see how it takes humility to be you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> 
<laughs> it takes humility to be me. You should see the mistake. Someday we should just put our mistakes next to each other. I'll bet oh, you I, mine will be true by a mile. I'll bet you. Oh, I anyway, don't know about that. Anyway, let's go to a, a TED Talk. This is a, a TED Talk by Eduardo Zanata. Failure is part of success. And he's going to introduce three principles about dealing with failure. This is going to be the first of these three principles. I wish to discuss three principles today that, if applied, will impact our lives now and forever. Number one, don't quit too early. Most obstacles we face are here to test our character, not to stop us. Who here has heard of NCAA coach John Wooden before? John Wooden is perhaps the greatest college basketball coach in the history of the world. He has won 12 championships, 11 of which were consecutive titles. The true personification of success, both on and off the court. But most people don't spend any time trying to understand what happened to John Wooden in his career before all that success. He went 16 years without winning anything. Now think about that. 16 years and no titles, then 12 years and 11 titles. Many people would call phase one of his career a failure, but he called it preparation. And that is so utterly profound. And, and John Wooden especially is a very, very special uh, hero of mine. When I was a teenager, uh, I used to love sports and I, and, I, and I liked to read. And I read a book by John Wooden. It was called They Call Me Coach. And he put the principles of his life success and his coaching success in that book. And it had an incredible impact on my personal life. This is Christian Questions, your weekly live podcast to help you think about the Bible like you never have before. Talk to us uh, via chat or you can email us at christianquestions.com. Okay, let's go, let's go to another example of failure due to a lack of knowledge. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Let's do just 7 and 8 right here. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And Rick, what went wrong in this scenario? Okay, now, you, you think about this. The Apostle Paul, he is in hindsight telling us the reason for the trial and is relating to us his original failure to grasp, grasp the meaning of his experiences, okay? Uh, he felt stifled by this thorn in the flesh, and he wouldn't let go of his desire to be better serving God. So he would pray for it, and he says, I prayed about this three separate times. He was thoroughly engaged because he felt like this is slowing me down. Now look, it's not like he was immature because he's the Apostle Paul. It's not like he was weak because he could plow through most anything. He just didn't know what the reason for the experience was. And until he knew, and you know, you could really appreciate it with someone like the Apostle Paul, until he knew he wasn't going to rest because he wanted to serve with everything he could possibly have. So in his experience relaying this to us, we, we pick up the reading in 2 Corinthians tw uh, chapter 12, verses 9 through 10, and this is where he begins to put it together. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content 
with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, Rick, what was the remedy for this failure? Okay, the Apostle Paul was not seeing something. So the remedy was an internal searching in prayer and then an intervening answer from above. See, he needed to hear it from outside of himself. He couldn't work his way through it just by thinking his way through it. He needed that external answer, and it came through the voice of Jesus saying, look, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected in your weakness. And the apostle's reaction wasn't just, oh, okay, that makes sense. His, <laughs> no, it wasn't. His he reaction went overboard. That's right. <laughs> right. So his reaction was, I get it now. I understand it. That makes perfect sense. Now I can boast in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, then I'm strongest. I can't wait to be weak. <laughs> it's not me doing it. It's you doing it through me. Right. Exactly. 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 Um, and actually, this actually this quote is the quote I started the broadcast with. So read it again, though. It's a good quote from George Defeat. Edward Woodbury. Defeat is not the worst of failures. Not to have tried is the true failure. And that is so incredibly true. We all suffer defeat. And it's okay to suffer defeat. But if we don't try, then failure is automatic. See, the idea is to fall down and to be able to get up again. The idea is to realize that falling down, God doesn't look at us when we fall down and say, oh, you fool. He says, oh, my child, let me help you up. Did you learn from falling? Did you get something from it? Are you better because of it? Are you able to look at your life in a little bit of a different way? So now you can come towards me with a little bit more strength. And Rick, we, we know the Lord judges our intent yeah. and our follow through. We fall flat often, right, right? but it's the intent to honor him, to serve him, to please him, to be an example for him. That's what he's counting on. Right. That's what he sees. And I love that about him. So, so when we look at failure due to a lack of knowledge, again, the, the, the remedy for that can, can not, it does not have to be something mysterious. It's filling the void of knowledge, but oftentimes it has to come from the outside. So let, let's sum this particular lesson up. Failures lessened learned. Our first failures lessened learned, Jonathan, due to failure, uh, because of failure due to a lack of knowledge is what? Well, Rick, it's a correcting a lack of knowledge that brings us failure requires humility. It can be remedied through the intervention of those around us who truly care for our highest welfare, as well as through prayer and action on our part. Okay. So, I mean, the bottom line here is we've got to build that road through failure with your failures. You know, you can't put a road closed sign on the roads that bring us failure, but we can take those roads and say, okay, I'm going to build a new road with the material that's on the old road. I'm going to take that material and put it on this new road because it's going to help me work through the failure. The first kind of failure, the first kind of personal failure that we're looking at here and talking about is that uh, failure because we just don't know something. It's the simplest kind of failure to get your arms around. I didn't know. I now can know. Once I do know, now I'm better off. So, Here's the thing about this, Jonathan. Most Christians think that the present circumstances show us 
God's way of handling all failure. Well, do the present circumstances show us that? Let's look at that, Rick. How does God's plan for the future treat the world's present failure due to their lack of knowledge? Tradition is special until it's meant to be shaken up. It's time to see if we stay on track with it or not. Jonathan, that's a really important question to ask, and we often get so tied up in trying to remedy our own personal issues with failure that we just write off the world's massive issues with failure. The good news is that God's got this. He sees the world's failure, and he has a plan for their learning. And, you know, again, most of Christianity doesn't look at it quite that way. But we're, we're going to get to that in, in just a minute. I want to go back to our motivational guy because I feel like I need to get pumped up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a theme here in this next little section from Struggle Makes You Stronger is that struggle actually does have a very powerful purpose. You are stronger than you think. You survived all your challenges to this point. And you will survive whatever is coming. But next time a struggle comes, I don't want you to curse the skies. Know that it was sent for a reason and a lesson. It might be to make you stronger. It might be to teach you patience. It might be for you to show others your spirit. There is a reason. So don't you give up. You have a purpose in this world. And you will only find it if you keep going and keep growing. Your struggle is a part of your story. Your struggle made you the person you are today. Wow. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he's so, he's so right. The struggle is what, what makes the strength. You can't have strength just infused into you from above miraculously. It comes through struggle. It comes through failure sometimes. And failure, therefore, can be such a powerful, powerful tool in, in our lives. So now we're going to focus on God's plan for the future and the world's failures due to their lack of knowledge. So first of all, the world truly is in a lack of knowledge environment, and that means that they are destined for failure. Well, Rick, does that mean God's plan went wrong? That's a really good question. And a lot of times people look at that and say, as a matter of fact, they will, they'll yell and scream, well, well you're, 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 show me your God. If your God is God, then why do these things happen? And that's the classic, that's the classic uh, excuse of inexperience, of not knowing, of not really knowing the, the right answer. So let's get to the right answer about the world's lack of knowledge in God's plan here. Let's go to Mark chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, and this is right after Jesus spoke the parable of the sower. Remember, he sowed the seeds on the four different kinds of ground. Mm -hmm. And this parable, Jesus explains in incredible detail to his followers. And so we're just dropping in when he's starting to give that explanation. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. So that's a pretty strange thing to say. I'm, I'm teaching these lessons in parables. I'm going to tell you the answers, but I'm not telling them. Why? Because if I told them, then they might be 
converted. They might be forgiven. And we don't want that. And you say, wait, 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 wait. Why wouldn't Jesus want that? Because that's not the overall plan. Not here, not yet. So the entrance of sin caused the rules of God's blessing to be narrowed down in this present evil world. His blessing does not fully extend to everyone. You see, God allowed this to happen. He allowed the narrowing of his blessing because it was for the purpose of learning. Everything God does is for the purpose of eternal learning. And if you put that thought in your head, much of what's written in Scripture can begin to make more sense. See, God gave permission for evil to be here. It wasn't a failure on his part. It was permission. So let's go now to verses, uh, we're in Mark chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Okay, so it's interesting. He is explaining the parable, and he says the sower is sowing the word of God. And, you know, Jesus is the sower. And the first example are those who where the seed just kind of falls onto the pathway, and the ground is so hard that it can't even begin to take root. But, but what does it say? You know, that underlined part of the scripture, Jonathan. It says, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. So is it their fault? Satan took it away. He took it away before there was even an opportunity for it to grow. It's like a seed that falls on the ground. It has no chance. The bird will find it, and it'll come and snatch it away, and, and then you're done. So God's word and power is not even allowed to take root in the hearts of the many of the world. And Jonathan, we are talking billions. He allows And, and Rick, he allows this for a reason. Right. So there is a lack of knowledge. The world fails before God because of this lack of knowledge. Okay? One more scripture on this, because this is a really important point. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, and whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So again, another scripture in another place that says the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, to the rest of the world, because the God of this world has blinded them. And Jonathan, if you've been blinded, then how can you expect to see? You can't. Exactly. So there is a failure, massive failure on the part of the world due to a lack of knowledge. And that's a great point, Rick. You're listening to Christian Questions Live. We want to hear from you now. Message our live chat or contact us and leave your questions or message at christianquestions.com. So, so let's go back to Eduardo Zanata. The TED Talk on failure is part of success. And remember, there are three principles that he's giving us. The first principle, uh, principle one was don't quit too early. All right, very important place to start. Failure happens, don't quit too early. So now we're gonna to get to his second principle of failure being part of success. Number two, there's no such thing as failure. If you learned a lesson and gave your best, you succeeded. Have you thought of that before? Because we usually measure failure or success by the out outcome, not by the effort. 
But if you've given your best, you succeeded. Robert Kiyosaki put it well when he said, sometimes we win, sometimes we learn. And we usually, when we win, we tend to party, right? But when we lose, we tend to ponder. That's so powerful. Sometimes we win, sometimes we learn. And when you take the learning and you begin to apply it to your life, that is, is, is such an important part of making failure work for you, of paving a new road with the road that failure brought into your life. So, Rick, I have a question. Yes. What is God's future remedy for this failure of the blindness of humanity? All right. So, uh, Jonathan, if, if people could understand that question, the scriptures would mean something so much different to them. So let, let's try and put that in perspective. And, and the first part of it is the remedy's already been accomplished. You know, and, and that's like, well, what do you mean? Well, it's already in place. God's plan is so good, so big, so powerful, so comprehensive, so full of foresight that all of the pieces are already in place. We just need to wait for them to unfold. So the remedy for the world's lack of knowledge and their utter failure as a result of a lack of knowledge is shown to us in a couple of scriptures here. It's shown actually in many scriptures. We're only going to pick two right now. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Okay, so we established clearly that Jesus didn't want those around him, except those who were following him, to understand things. Right, exactly. It's repeated in the New Testament that there's a blindness on the people. They are not capable of seeing because they've been blinded. And Satan will do his part to keep it blind. That's right. He (laughs) does his part, and he does it really well. But in this scripture, it says God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, first of all, it's telling you what's in God's heart. He wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, think about that. We were talking about failure due to a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. This is saying God wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. And, Rick, that word knowledge in the Greek means full discernment. Right. Full, complete discernment. Right. And, and, you know, when I think of that, I always think of the example of, you know, when, when you bought your house, you had to do a closing, right? Yes, of course. And in that closing, there were stacks of papers, right? Oh, yeah. And on those papers were all of the myriads of disclosures that you had to go through, and you sign here, and you initial here, and la-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Full disclosure. Everything was laid out. All the details were there. That's what this means. God wants all men to come to knowledge. They're ignorant now because they don't know, because they've been blinded by Satan. So God's desire for all men is to break free of the stifling influence of ignorance of our sinful world. So when is that going to happen? So, Rick, there is hope for the ungodly. Yes, because that scripture says he, God wants them to come to a knowledge of truth. Now you say, okay, well, that's great. That's nice of God to want that to happen. Well, now let's go to the next scripture. This is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9. And now before you read this, this is a prophecy. 
when scripture, when, when, when prophetic scripture is written, sometimes it takes a really long time for those prophecies to be fulfilled. This is definitely a future prophecy. It is a beautiful, well-stated, clear prophecy that sounds almost too good to be true. That's how good this prophecy is. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and a weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. And you'll think about this and you're saying, this is unnatural. Yep, you're right, for this world, What's being described there is unnatural. But think about back to the Garden of Eden. That was the natural habitat of uh, an earth created for the sake of harmony between all parts. That's a reality of the past. And what this prophecy is saying is it's a reality of the past, and therefore it will become a reality of the future. Now, the prophecy continues. It's giving you a very vivid picture and now it's going to make the godly proclamation of what all of this means and what all of this stands for. Now remember, this is about how do you manage humankind's lack of knowledge? What does God do with that? Here's the answer. This is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Boy, is that, is that powerful? <laughs> well, there's the knowledge that was talked about in 1 Timothy. Exactly. God desired all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And here, knowledge is rampant. Right. Knowledge is everywhere. Now, what knowledge? The, it says the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Now, we don't see that here today, do we? No way. <laughs> we didn't see that uh, 100 years ago, did we? Not at all. We didn't see that 500 years ago. Nope. 1,000 years ago. Nope. Even when Jesus was on the earth. No, we did not. Never have we seen that. Now, again, folks, we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe that the words of the prophets written were words to show us what the world is going to look like. And what this is helping us to understand is God's will is explicit here. There's not a lot of things that you have to try to say, well, what does that mean? When he says, the earth will be filled, will, I'm sorry, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, that's a pretty graphic explanation of what knowledge will be where. The, On the earth. The knowledge of God will literally cover the earth. So God's will is expressed in prophecy, and God's will is equal to his desire. Remember in that First Timothy scripture, it said he desires all men to be saved. Here it shows his will accomplishing that very desire. Uh, Jonathan, a quote uh, from James Altucher. Honesty is the fastest way to prevent a mistake from turning into a failure. And, and you know, let, let's, let's diverge onto that quote just for a minute here because that's such an important point. We can make a mistake. We can, we can, we can do something and it comes out wrong. Honesty can take that mistake and short-circuit it by saying, oh, my bad, 
Did you see what I just did? I That was not my intention. That's not what I should have done. I apologize. Let me fix it. So a mistake is, is, is a failure that hasn't grown up yet. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Some failures, all failures, we'd love to have not ever grow up. We'd oh, like for to, sure. <laughs> we like to short circuit them and, 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 and get something good and positive and valuable out of them instead. So that's a, it's, a, it's a great little practical quote in terms of our own personal failure. But again, Jonathan, what does God do with the world's lack of knowledge now? What's failure's lesson learned in this particular point? The world's miserable failure due to their lack of knowledge will be erased. God's plan intervened, and the future will never allow failure as a result of ignorance. Now, Rick, that's good news. That's, I, I you know, that that's something we just we just got we just got to pause and consider on this because what these scriptures are telling us, and these are just two of many many scriptures, Jonathan, many prophecies that bring us to the future. What these scriptures are telling us is that God understands failure due to a lack of knowledge. He gets it. He understands it. For we as Christians, we need to be have a, a, an intervention of, of knowledge coming into us through other Christians, through studying of the Word, through our, our spiritual experiences, through you know observation, all of those things, so that we can correct ourselves. But for the world, they're just not on the road to being in harmony with God yet. But God assures us that the world will not be judged because of their failures that are due to a lack of knowledge. What the scriptures tell us is, lack of knowledge will be erased. It will no longer exist in the world. I, and, and you think about that, that, those are prophecies. We're not making this up. That means that God's judgment upon the world is going to be, if it's not based on a lack of knowledge, you can't have the lack of knowledge as an excuse. So there's a powerful goodness that comes from that. So, so that... That's failure due to a lack of knowledge. Wouldn't it be great if all failure was that easy? Well, it's not, Rick. <laughs> Next is failure due to immaturity. You can't force maturity, so is this kind of failure inevitable? There are easy questions where answers come quickly. Let's tackle this big question that isn't so easy. Actually, Jonathan, yes, this type of failure is inevitable, and we are actually glad about that. As we seek to grow up, be it through our adolescent years or to grow up into a mature Christian, we find that these failures of immaturity can be particularly helpful if we know how to process them. And see, that's the key. We've got to learn how to process the failure so it doesn't become a short circuit for our lives but it becomes material to build the road through failure in our lives. Big difference between those two things. And Rick, I was thinking the sad part is that others take the brunt of our immature failures. Let's hope they can forgive us and realize that they've been there too. And our part is the same towards their failures. Forgive and then go on. All right, and you're right. We all fall into that. And so now this next subject is going to be on immaturity. But before we do that, we're actually going to have a question of great maturity come to us. This is a question from my wife, Trish. She said, hey, look, I, I just had something I wanted to add. So let's, Trish, what have you got to say? Well, now after that, I don't know if I'm going to say anything. 
Uh, <laughs> and maybe that'll be answered in the next uh, section. But my question is, is there a difference between knowledge and, under and understanding? Okay. That's my question. Okay. It's a real simple, straightforward question. Is there a difference between knowledge and understanding? And, and, you know, as we get into failure due to immaturity, I think we want to develop that. And the short answer is yes. There's a huge difference between knowledge and understanding because you can have knowledge, but you not, don't necessarily have understanding. Understanding comes with maturity. That's why we want to develop it during this next section. So, Trish, very well-timed question. See? See? Very, very good there. Excellent. Let's go back to our motivational guy, though, Jonathan. What do you think? Oh, let's get pumped up. <laughs> <laughs> so now, he, again, he's focusing on our struggle and the importance of having our struggles in our lives. Your struggle is your life. Your struggle is your gift. See, many people look at struggle like it's a bad thing. Your struggle will be the gift that the world falls in love with. Nobody wants to hear the story of the man that was given everything. People want to hear the stories of men and women that endured pain and turned their struggles into a gift. Do you want people just to feel sorry for you? Or you want people to look up to you? Do you want to be a legend? Because legends are born in the valley of struggle. Legends are born in the belly of struggle. And Jonathan, the, the path of the true followers of Christ now is a path of struggle. It's a path of difficulty, a path of lots of failure. But that will be an example in the future when the world walks up that highway of holiness that they can look at and say, okay, if they could do it under those circumstances, I can do this under these circumstances. So it's powerful, powerful lesson that, uh, you know, our struggle is our gift. It really, truly is. So let's talk about failure due to immaturity, and that's point number two. Now, we're taking our time going through those four paths of failure because this is a two-part program, and we want to cover this very, very fully because failure is such an important part of our lives. Fail, fail, go ahead. I'm sorry. Due to immaturity, you just don't have enough experience or understanding to be able to succeed. All right. There's something missing and you're not ready. You're not grown up enough, whether it be physically or spiritually, whatever, to be able to absorb whatever it is you need. So this type of failure can often be the most convenient type to grow from because being immature and failing implies that growth is already underway. Because if you're immature and you fail, it means you tried something. Yeah, and when you that's a good thing. Right. So when you try and fail, it's, be it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a cause to say, what did I learn from it? It's like, it's like you know, my, my grandson Dominic is nine years old, and he's, he plays a, on a baseball team. And, uh, you know, they just started, I think, I think it was this year, they started, you know, with actual pitching. And when you're nine... Some kids get it really quick, and some kids just take a really long time. It's scary to stand there and watch somebody throw a ball that looks like it's going to hit you. You know, and, and for, oh, a yeah. for, for a little 9-year-old or a 10-year-old, sometimes standing in the batter's box and even swinging the bat is the scariest thing ever. But until you figure out that you got to swing, you're never going to be able to get a hit. And it's, the, it's the, the growing into the maturity of being able to experience that very, that very circumstance. So 
let's take a look at an example of failure in Scripture due to immaturity. Matthew chapter 14, 25 through 32. He came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Okay, so you had the disciples there, and they're afraid because Jesus is walking on the water. Now, look, this is not something that you see every day. I'm sorry. So the fact that they were scared out of their skin is understandable, okay? And so, but Jesus sees them, and he assures them, don't be afraid. Now Peter pipes up. Peter is the leader. He's enthusiastic, and he actually, Jonathan, he's strong for for somebody who is so immature. What does he do? Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. So, Rick, what went wrong? He sunk. (laughs) (laughs) Peter, what went wrong, Jonathan, is, you know, he started out in such great faith. And it was pure faith. And it was genuine faith. And it was real faith. And there was nothing wrong with that faith. And he started out, and Jesus calls him. He asks permission. Jesus says, okay, come. So he has the authority to walk on the water by the words of Jesus. And he goes out, and he starts to actually do something that is physically not possible. This is pure miracle here. And he looks around, and it's suddenly dawning on him, I'm doing something that is not possible. And he starts to become afraid. So what went wrong? Peter had not yet grown into his potential. And as a result, his courage and enthusiasm ran ahead of his ability. That's a pure sign of immaturity. That's all it is. And, you know, you don't look at immaturity and say, oh, how immature was he? You say, wow, he had such great potential. He just hadn't grown into it yet. See, Was there something wrong with the immaturity? No, it just was there. And what does does Jesus say to him? Well, Rick, he says, Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. All right, Rick, we know what went wrong. Now, what was the remedy for this failure? The remedy was the strong intervening hand of Jesus. He reaches out his hand and he grabs hold of him and he pulls him up so he can not drown and be in the boat. And and he says to him, you have little faith, why do you doubt? You know, and I look at those words and Jesus is not reprimanding him. He's not looking down on him saying, oh, you foolish, foolish apostle. What were you thinking? Couldn't you just keep your eyes on the target for 30 seconds? He was saying, okay, you've got some faith. You've got little faith. You're going to need to learn to grow that faith into bigger trust. Why did you doubt? So you have the strong intervening hand of Jesus. Our childlike enthusiasm needs a steady hand of guidance because if we get that steady hand of guidance, we can find the steadiness in those whom we respect, and that can help our immaturity grow out of itself so we can become mature. And Rick, It's happened to all of us. Yeah, that's for sure. We're looking to today's mainstream and biblical topics from several different angles. 
We couldn't do it without our great supporters. Join our conversation by, by chatting us live or using your free mobile app and send us a message or a question. All right. We, we like the interactive part of things because that ends up being a very, very important part of this whole, this whole presentation, the whole podcast. So the remedy for this failure, again, was intervention, was something outside. Immaturity doesn't correct itself. Immaturity needs guidance, needs coaching, needs words, needs example. That's what immaturity needs. You need something from the outside in to help us grow up. And Jonathan, we, that's why Christianity is looked at as a body of Christ because we need each other to help each other in that, in that growing. Let's go back to um, Eduardo Zanata, the TED Talk on failure is part of success. And he is going to go to point number three. Uh, remember point number two. Number, point number one was uh, don't quit too early. Point number two was no, there is no such thing as failure. And now his third failure principle. Number three. The past does not equal the future. Who here has been rejected by a girl or a guy before? And if you don't raise your hands, I'm calling you a liar. <laughs> well, there, a lot of people have not raised their hands. I'm surprised. I'll raise both. <laughs> well, all of us have. But the tragedy of this experience is not the experience itself. It's the meaning that we usually take home with us. Because I was rejected then, I'll be rejected again. The past will equal the future, perfect formula for misery. <laughs> the past does not equal the future. Tony Robbins, one of the greatest teachers that I know, has taught this principle in a marvelous way. He said, and if you're going to take anything home from my talk, take this principle. The only thing that keeps us from getting what we want is the story we keep telling ourselves about why we can't have it. And, and, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. Now, look, sometimes we don't get what we want because the Lord doesn't want us to have it. All That's right? true, Rick. So, Absolutely. you know, you can't forget that as a Christian. But, you know, oftentimes we're our own worst enemy and our own immaturity. Let, let's do another example of uh, another biblical example of failure due to immaturity. Let's go to Matthew 20, verses 20 through 26 for this one. We're going to read 20 through 21 to get started. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. Rick, what went wrong? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is interesting because this is, this is a mother who's obviously a mature human being. She's asking a very immature question. She is. Because she's not spiritually mature. And this, is, this is one of at least three times, Jonathan, that the immature arguments about the greatness among the apostles came up. And actually, in, in Secret Rewind, the full edition, we've got the three uh, instances listed there for you because it's, it's an interesting study to look at. So, so if you do not subscribe to Secret Rewind, the full edition, you can sign up for it now. It's a free service, and I tell you, it just gives you a whole lot to work with in terms of Bible study and putting things in a very clear perspective. You can sign up through your app or through the ChristianQuestions.com website. So you asked what went wrong? Well, while greatness would be in their future, their present task was to grow into the spiritual men who could handle carrying out the burden of greatness. So greatness was for not now, it was for later. It was an immature thing to ask for dessert before dinner. You know, that's... I love to do that, though. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, so how does Jesus handle this? Let's go back to Matthew 20. Let's go to verses 22 uh, through 23. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. So go ahead. No, no. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. What was the remedy for this failure? So the, the remedy, again, was something from the outside in. You see, folks, we can't manage our failures by ourselves. I think that's one of the overriding lessons that we're hearing here. It was the, the remedy for this particular failure was the powerful and intervening words of Jesus. Children need to be taught what it looks like to be an adult, and we always need forgiveness for our failures. If we're not taught what it looks like to be an adult, we will never mature into an adult. And I might add, that's one of the reasons that our society is so darned immature when, when our children are growing up in college age and beyond now, because we're not teaching them what it's like, the, the importance of failure, the importance of, of contradiction, the importance of dealing with all of those things. And does this help us get to that question from Tricia, knowledge and understanding, are they the same, are they different? Well, and, you know, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up at this point, because what, what it boils down to is knowledge. When you have knowledge of something, you, you have a, an, a, a, a sense of its existence. Yes, I know about it. When you understand it, you know the why behind it. You know the application of it. And in that scripture where it says um, that, that God desires all men to have the knowledge of the truth— Yes, That was a verse that talked about understanding, not just knowledge, because it was a full disclosure. It was, a, it was having the whole thing running through your veins, so to speak. So yes, knowledge and understanding are very different. Maturity seeks understanding. Immaturity settles for knowledge. That's interesting. And, and it takes uh, experience and it takes failure to get that understanding. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to fail to get the understanding. You're right. Great. Next quote from Winston Churchill. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Got to keep going. One more scriptural example of uh, failure uh, due to immaturity, Ephesians 4, uh, 14 to 15. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. So, Rick, what is uh, failures lessons learned here? Okay, failures lessons learned. Go ahead. Sum okay. it up for us. Failure due to immaturity can provoke growth when we see ourselves as humble children seeking forgiveness. The examples and teachings of those who are grown in Christ. So, failures lessons learned here is to understand that immaturity can be in all of us at different times of our lives because just because you may be growing up. Now, look, I've got plenty of gray hair, <laughs> all right? It doesn't uh -huh. mean I'm fully mature. Now, I hate to admit that, but, you know, if I don't say it, somebody else will, so I might as well say it because it's true, all right? And, and so the immaturity of our lives needs to be brought to our attention, and usually it's only brought to our attention through failure that's when you say, wow, I should be more grown up than that. 
I, you know, I should be beyond that by now. And so we need to see ourselves as humble children seeking forgiveness and seeking to learn the lessons, learn the lessons of the examples that, that are put before us so we can grow into Christ. That's what it really comes down to. So failure is good. Immaturity is good because it means there's room for growth. So long as we take it that way, as long as we don't take it as a dead-end road, but we say, okay, we can see something much bigger than that um, right here, right now. So, you know, at this point, go ahead. Well, I, I was thinking of uh, the, the scripture about being children tossed to and fro and, and being tricked and deceived. And the scripture that, that we keep going back to um, reminds me, you know, of Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. Rick, that's my secret to make sure everything squares with God's word. Right. Whatever is brought in, does that harmonize with he gave his life for all? Right. To testify in due time. If not, I know that I've got to move that thinking over there in another pile because I want to focus on the harmony of the scriptures. Right. So you take the core, of the, and that's a mature attitude. You take the core of the scriptures and everything has to fit with that core. See, so we got to build that road through failure with our failures. So, you know, it looks like we just got to grow up. Well, what about the rest of the world? What happens with them? Well, let's go there, Rick. What does God's plan do with an immature world? How does he make them grow up? It's time for a CQ Deep Dive. That's how we find the answers. See, Jonathan, the general maturity level of the world seems to go lower as time goes on. We touched on that last segment. In society, we have gone from teenage boys and girls working to contribute to and support their families in the past to present-day college students who need puppies and coloring books to cope with an opposing viewpoint. I mean, what happened? But here's the thing, Jonathan. God does have a plan to use all of this for good. And so in this segment, what we want to look at is how does God view the world's failure due to immaturity? Does God judge the world due to their immaturity? Or is there more to it than that? We've got to, we've got to examine that because we looked at Christian failure due to immaturity. Now, what about God looking at the world in relation to all of this? So let's go back to our, uh, our motivational guy one last time and... Um, just let's just let him do his thing. This is struggle makes you stronger, and we got this from YouTube. Fear is only a fictional movie, but reality is a struggle. Reality is the struggle. So take the struggle and change your reality, because the whole time you were thinking that your struggle was holding you back, it was really giving you the tools to become one of the greatest. No more second guessing. No more blaming others for the problems you have in your life. It's a new day. This is my one way ticket to my dreams. Your struggle is your gift. powerful stuff man it is and and rick talking about blame i was thinking some people blame others for their own failures they won't admit them that means they won't learn from those experiences uh and they will just continue to cause pain and heartache to others 
by criticizing and pointing their finger at them, saying, oh, this is your fault that this happened to me. Uh, it's not mine. And that is a real worldly, immature attitude, but it's, it's out there. Well, it is. And, that, and like you said, it, it's the kind of attitude that permeates the world in which we live. The world in which we live is overflowing with blame. And it's overflowing with self-justification. Now, does God look at the world and make a final judgment on them because of that immaturity? That's, a, that's an important question that we want to, want to get to. You know, the, the, the level of, words, of the world's maturity is so low, it might seem like, well, look, God messed up. Well, Rick, that, that brings us to the question, did God's plan go wrong? Well, well, the answer plainly is no. Okay, now how do we know that? Well, let's go back. Remember we were talking about the explanation of the parable of the sower and how things were done in parables for the world and the world was blinded and they were not given knowledge on purpose. Okay, well, the parable of the sower actually takes it to another level in, in Jesus' explanation of that. And with the second group of, there were four groups of seeds that were sown in the parable of the sower, remember? That's right. And there are four roads to failure. So we're just saying, you know, you might want to match up the first one with the first, <laughs> the second with the second, see how it all works out. So let's go back to Mark chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary then after affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Okay, so this is really different than the first seed sown in that, in that story. Because remember, the first seed sown was there, and, 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 and what happened to it? it? It couldn't even work its way into the ground because th there was no sub substance to the ground. And the birds came, picked it up, took it away. Right, so there was no opportunity because right. there was that complete lack of knowledge. Well, here you say, okay— the seeds sown in rocky places are those where the seed actually can take root. And so it does take root. And in this case, the seed is choked out by the individual themselves due to a desire for comfort in the face of adversity. It was clearly foretold that things would be this way. And Jonathan, this is an unfortunate but powerful example of many that, that claim the name of Christian today. That, that's a good point. You get excited about it, you get emotional about it, and then something goes wrong or something gets difficult in life, and you forget about it. Well, the big question, what is God's future remedy for this failure? Because there's a lot of people in that circumstance. Right. Does God look at those people and say, okay, you now, now think about this. You heard the name of Christ. You said that you accepted it, and now you just dropped it like a hot potato? Does God look at that and say, there is permanent judgment upon you for that? Let's see what the remedy for this, future, for, the, for this failure is. Again, it comes down to Jesus' sacrifice. Like we said last time, when we're talking about God's approach to the world's failures, that it's already in place. Jesus' sacrifice as the basis for the remedy has already been completed. What follows is opportunity through testing. Now, here's the key, Jonathan, that we have to get. God understands failure. And the, the, the main point I think that's, that's really important here is God will not, with certain kinds of failure, hold us eternally accountable. 
we know that lack of knowledge is not an eternal accountability failure in God's eyes. That's right. Now, what about immaturity? You know, let, let's look at that. John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So no matter who you are, resurrection seems to fit the bill, right? Yes, both ways. Both ways. Those who followed after Christ, resurrection of life. Those who didn't, and those, incidentally, whose seeds we were just talking about, the, the represented with the, 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 the rocky ground, you know, they're the ones. They're, they're pictured in this resurrection of judgment. This resurrection of judgment is the beginning of the context of a new heaven and a new earth. And it is the beginning of the process of growing up, of becoming mature, for the world will be... Um, in, in, in place when, when that happens. And, and, and again, I, w- I want to restate that, Jonathan, because this is really important. Resurrection. A lot of times Christians look at the idea of resurrection, and they see resurrection and standing before God and being judged approved or disapproved, all like in an instant. Right, right. Like a 24-hour day concept. Right. Not so. That's not what the Scriptures teach us. This resurrection is the beginning of the re-standing process and there is a growth process that God puts in place because we already saw to get knowledge, to get full disclosure, it's, it doesn't come immediately. It takes time. You've got to grow into that knowledge for it to become understanding. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20, as an example of the time it takes to grow into godliness, the time it takes to not be immature anymore, but to grow into maturity. No longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. So it, it gives you the sense of a lot of time. Years yes. and years and years. Why? Because you've got to grow up. Does growing up happen overnight? Nope. No. You've got to grow up. They will not only be given time to grow up, they will be given the evidence to follow the right examples, and that's part of maturity. You see, God looks at the immaturity of the world in a similar way to the way he looks at the the lack of knowledge of the world. He says, it's there. I know it's there. Eternal judgment is not based on those things. This is so important. If we can understand this, then we can look at the failures of the world and say, God's got this in a very merciful, powerful way. In God's plan, immaturity will no longer be a cause of failure. And right now, Jonathan, immaturity is one of the greatest causes of failure in our world. I mean, it is. You, just, you can't get away from it no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what you look for. It's always there. But how merciful is our Heavenly Father to allow humanity to mature, to truly make a decision if they love the Lord and want to live eternally, or if they want nothing to do with, with a, a kingdom of love and forgiveness and kindness. I mean, that, that is amazing. Well, and, and you know, we've only 
touched on two of the roads to failure in this in this in 90 minutes of podcast. That's what part two is going to be. We're going to be supplementing that with the other two parts because we're going to get into some more depth on that. But let's go to one more scripture, Jonathan, on this maturing, maturing process that not Christians, but those of the world will be going through in the future. This is another prophecy, another Old Testament prophecy that needs time to be able to unfold. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 21 to 23. The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to see the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That shows you maturity. That shows you growth and observation and seeing the kingdom of God unfolding and realizing that God's favor comes in very specific ways and realizing, you know what? I want a part of that favor. I'm going to go to the places, to the people who can help me get that kind of favor because I want to be part of it. I want to be godly. I want to be grown up. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, and it shows how the world will be given opportunity to grow up. God's plan gives them time. God's plan gives them knowledge. God's plan gives them understanding. God's plan provides so that they can not have failure take them by surprise. Isn't that what a loving father would do? Absolutely, positively, beyond the shadow of any doubt. So what's failure's last lesson learned for today? Well, Rick, the world's miserable failure, due to their lack of maturity, will be eliminated. God, through Jesus' sacrifice, will never allow immaturity to determine a man's destiny. So if you let that sink in for a moment, what it's saying is all men will be able to become mature and then make decisions there at that point. And God will not prejudge them before they get to a point of actual maturity. That's powerful. Wow. That, is, that is very powerful. So will mankind be allowed to fail in the future? Yes. Okay. Will it be easy? No. Will it be fair? Yes. yes. Folks, you got to stay tuned for part two on this because there's so much more to come on this subject of managing and getting through uh, failure in, in our lives. One, one more quote, this one from Henry Ford before we go through these four paths of failure again. Failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. <laughs> and, and the, the, you know, that is so true, and that really does show maturity. That shows a application of knowledge. That shows maturity. That says, okay, I didn't do it well last time. I can begin more intelligently this time because I will take the accumulated knowledge of what I didn't know and now know. I will take what I've grown up into from that previous experience and apply these things, and now I can move forward. And for timing for the kingdom, remember, in God's eyes, time is different than human. A day to the Lord is a thousand years very different time frame so god has the ability to extend time for this maturity to take place 
And every human being will have that opportunity to be actually become mature. So again, Jonathan, we only went over the first two of the four paths that failure walks into our lives on. So let's just review those first two at this moment. What are the first two? Failure due to a lack of knowledge. You simply don't know what you need to succeed. Okay. Without knowledge sometimes, and we're all in that situation occasionally, you just don't know what you need. And once you get that implanted, now you can do something different. And getting that knowledge has to come from the outside in. The second road that failure takes into our lives. Failure due to immaturity. You just don't have enough experience or understanding to be able to succeed. And we sent the latter, spent the latter part of our podcast on failure due to immaturity. We've all got to grow up. And it doesn't matter how many gray hairs you have. You still have to grow up. We have to grow up into Christ and that's a very can be a very challenging growing up, but it becomes again you, the remedy for that failure is the intervention, the putting in of something that wasn't there before from the outside. We need each other. We need we need God in our lives. We need prayer. We need the scriptures. We need fellowship. We touched on those two paths of failure. We didn't touch on the next two. What are they? Failure due to weakness. You do know better. You have done better but you simply fall anyway. Now, this is where failure starts to get much, much more serious. Failure due to weakness. We fall because we are weak. What do we do? How do we solve that? Coming up in a few weeks, and what's the final one? Failure due to choice. Beyond mere weakness, this failure is founded in the idolatry of self-will. So now when we look at all of these failures, and again, you can see the ascending intensity of the types of failures that we're talking about. What we see is that failure can be due to a lot of different reasons. Two of those reasons we put, we put on the table and talked, at, talked through in some great detail uh, tonight, but the others we're gonna have to take a look at as we move forward. And again, in a couple of weeks, we'll come back to part two on how do we manage failure and specifically focus on failure due to weakness and failure due to choices. What do we do? How do we remedy them? And we can if we apply scriptural principles. Well, folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We certainly have enjoyed talking to you about a really important subject in terms of everybody's life, and that is managing failure. Do not lose heart. Stay focused, stay clear, and make failure a tool of your life. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week. Till then, think about it. And folks, we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Download our app. And we'll be back and talk to you soon.